Welcome to the May 2011 episode of the Harvard Medical Labcast, science that's changing your world. This podcast is brought to you by Harvard Medical School's Office of Communications and External Relations in Boston. I'm Melissa Neller. And I'm David Cameron. This month, we'll explore what causes the immune system to attack healthy cells and tissues by mistake. But first, are you getting enough sleep? According to research by Elizabeth Clerman, an associate professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and Brigham and Women's Hospital, most adults should be getting eight and a half to nine hours of sleep each night. I had a chance to chat with Beth about her study and about the benefits of a good night's sleep. Here's an excerpt from our interview. Why do we sleep? That's an excellent question. When I first started in the field, people thought that we slept basically to immobilize ourselves because we don't function well at night. And the thought was that we just need to immobilize ourselves so that those creatures at night couldn't find us and attack us and eat us. But it's become increasingly evident by multiple lines of research that many things happen during sleep. Sleep is necessary for multiple functions. For example, during sleep, the brain processes information learned during the day. So if hmm. you learn something and then you stay awake all night, you haven't really learned it. Your, your brain needs it to actually encode it appropriately so that it becomes part of long-term oh, memory. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I know your lab studies circadian rhythms mm-hmm. and so forth. Explain the circadian clock. So the circadian clock, you can think of as a little pacemaker or clock inside your brain. It's located in the hypothalamus just above the optic chiasm, which is where the nerve fibers go from between your eyes, so that it can get light input from the outside world. It generates its own approximately 24-hour rhythm, and there have been cellular and molecular studies to show that all by itself it can generate these approximately 24-hour rhythms. So what are you trying to learn about the circadian clock? I study a variety of things related to circadian clocks and their effects on either sleep or their effects on hormones and performance and alertness. So one study that I recently did was we looked at people getting insufficient sleep and what was the effects on performance. We put people on the equivalent of five and a half to six hours of sleep for three weeks. However, we put them on a non-24-hour day so that we could see the circadian effect. So it doesn't make a difference if you're awake for 30 hours starting at basically 6 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock in the afternoon or 11 o'clock at night. The results of that study showed that, first of all, you couldn't acclimate to getting insufficient sleep. So people got worse from week one to week two. They didn't get better from week two to week three. It's not worth staying. You don't adjust. You don't adjust. You can't adjust. The second thing that the data showed was that for the first few hours, like four to six hours after people woke up, they did fine, even after insufficient sleep over many days. We think this is why people think they do okay on insufficient sleep, because for the first few hours after they woke up, their performance was basically normal, what you would expect even without caffeine, because we didn't let them have caffeine. Okay, (laughs) how cruel. (laughs) However, after the first four to six hours, the rate of decline got worse and worse, such that people were taking up to three seconds to respond to a stimulus on the screen. We're not talking about a mental calculation or a memory test. We're talking about how quickly can you respond, how quickly can you slam on the brakes, how quickly can you do something that requires just a reaction. Yeah. That's how slow they were after this insufficient sleep. And it also depended on circadian time at which this happened. If it happened at night, the circadian system was making things worse. So that's an example of one of the aspects of research that we're doing. Another project that I've worked on recently is looking at how much sleep people get 
at home versus how much they're given if we bring them into the facility and give them extra opportunities for sleep and basically don't allow them out of bed because um, <laughs> they want to get out of bed. So we took healthy younger people and older people whose habitual sleep time ranged from 6 to 10 hours. We brought them into the facility and we recorded their sleep. Then we put them on a schedule which included 12 hours of sleep at night and a four-hour nap during the day, so 16 hours of sleep opportunity. The average amount of sleep on the first night was 12 and a half hours. For yes. the young and for the, the old? For the young. For the old, it wasn't as much, but for the young, it was 12 and a half hours. Now, we're talking about people who said, no, no, I only need six hours of sleep. So we continued this protocol for multiple days. And Did we it showed, decline at all? Like it, it declined. Exactly. Okay. Perfect. It declined to for the younger subjects to around eight and a half to nine hours. Okay. So, so part of the beginning, they were just kind of making up? They for... were making up, but that's exactly a homeostatic response. You haven't gotten enough of something. First, you overshoot because you have to make up. And then you come back to what the level that you would expect if everything were balanced. So we tell people we'd like you to aim for that. Yeah, it, it almost seems impossible. For it seems impossible. But it's not this. what people did you know, 50 years ago. 50 years ago, 100 years ago, people were getting significantly more hours of sleep than they do now. Interestingly, for older people, the final level reached was slightly under eight hours. Are you talking about seniors, senior citizens? Healthy 65 to 85-year-old people on no medications, with no medical illness, with no sleep disturbances. Their average was lower than younger subjects. And we don't know whether that's because older people, quote-unquote, need less sleep or whether they can't sleep when they need to. So the last question, which is one that I really do have to ask you, how much sleep did you get last night? Seven and a half hours. I aim for seven and a half to eight hours. I feel better that way. Do I always make it? No, but that's my goal. Worthy goal. Okay. Beth Clerman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about something I love. Rheumatoid arthritis, type 1 diabetes, MS, Graves' disease, These are all autoimmune diseases that arise when the body mistakes friend for foe. That is, when the immune system, which normally fights foreign invaders, attacks healthy cells and tissues by mistake. New research suggests that seemingly unrelated autoimmune diseases may actually share the same molecular trigger. HMS Associate Professor of Medicine Julia Wang and colleagues identify this trigger, a molecule called dermatin sulfate, in the May 2011 issue of the American Journal of Pathology. Dermatin sulfate's nefarious role was a surprise. It's ordinarily found in a wide variety of tissues, where it assists with a number of critical processes, including wound healing. As the body repairs tissue, dermatin sulfate helps clear away piles of dead cells but it can inadvertently cause trouble while performing this essential task. It acts sort of like a cooler at a poker table. According to gambling lore, a cooler is someone who brings bad luck to those sitting near him. During the healing process, dermatin sulfate brings bad luck to other molecules it encounters while tidying up tissue. When it binds to an oblivious molecule from a dead cell, the resulting complex can confuse the immune system As a result, the body assembles machinery to destroy all cells, including healthy cells, that bear the unlucky molecule. Thus, dermatin sulfate initiates what is known as an autoimmune response. Dermatin sulfate could be the common denominator across autoimmune diseases, and that makes it an attractive therapeutic target 
which is exciting for a field that is ripe for a breakthrough. Thanks for listening to the May episode. We'll leave you with an observation by the novelist John Steinbeck. It is a common experience that a problem difficult at night is resolved in the morning after the Committee of Sleep has worked on it. This podcast is a production of Harvard Medical School's Office of Communications and External Relations, and we'd love to hear your comments on this program. Visit our podcast website at podcast.hms.harvard.edu and tell us what you think or read what other listeners are saying. In order to learn more about Harvard Medical School, our academic and research programs, and our affiliated hospitals and research institutes, visit hms.harvard.edu.